0: I don't know if you uh, remember, I think this was high school. It's a long time ago. Uh, do you remember having a test and your teacher said you could have a cheat sheet? You, you were allowed one sheet of paper, right? I, I, really, I don't still understand the rationale, why they did that. But there were masters. I mean, look at this. This is incredible. You just sort of squeeze every possible note that you had onto one sheet of paper. Some people were were great at that. But I I really don't really understand the rationale. But it's a common thing, right? Like, shake your head if you, did you have cheat sheets when you were going to school? So it's a weird idea. I don't know. I mean, there were other cheat sheets. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, those were uh, non-authorized cheat sheets when we come to the end of Hebrews uh, chapter 13 it's as though the author has reached uh, the end of um, the sheet of papyrus let's say (laughs) and he's like nuts I ran out of paper And I only have this one sheet. So now he starts doing this, scratching in a whole bunch of things, but they're they're not little things. But there's a bunch of them. And you'll see what I mean as we read through Hebrews 13. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's not very long. You'll see what I mean as we read through it. The words will be up there for you. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, Equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom will be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. You see what I mean? A whole lot of stuff in there. But I, I wouldn't want us to get the wrong impression that because of brevity, those thoughts are not substantial. They're all very substantial. We're going to spend this summer just going through some of those teachings, which just get a little bit of playtime in the letter, but which are very Profound and very, very meaningful. The first one that we're going to look at today is this. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. See, we we all love love. We all love the concept of, of love. At least what we understand love to be. And I'm going to suggest to you that far fewer people actually love than profess to love. Far fewer people actually love than profess to love. This is because I think love is is a grossly misunderstood and overutilized and misappropriated concept. Misappropriation or appropriation. Cultural appropriation. It's been in the news a lot lately, right? Um, It's the idea that you would take someone's culture that isn't your own and just sort of use it for your own purposes, and that that can actually be quite offensive to those who that is uh, that it belongs to. Something like, um, you know, at, at Halloween... Uh, dressing up like uh, a native Canadian or an aboriginal uh, Canadian, uh, wearing feathers or ceremonial dress. Um, That has come into the idea that that's just kind of not appropriate anymore. My guess is that our appropriation of God's incredible quality, known as love, Is horribly offensive to him. Let me say that again. It's it's my guess that our appropriation of his quality known as love is horribly offensive to him. I mean, we throw the turn around so glibly and so loosely and so freely, we use it to get what we want quite often. Perhaps we're really anxious to get a relationship, so we throw the L word out. But we really uh, betray ourselves when we recognize that in fact we can fall in and out of love quickly. You know, this concept of falling out of love, I don't see it in Scripture. Falling out of love. This is why the author of Hebrews writes that we are to love as brothers and sisters. Isn't he kind of trying to up the ante there a little bit when he says, love, but as brothers and sisters? He's kind of up in the ante because we all kind of have this impression, don't we? That that blood is thicker than water, right? But what is it that makes our relationships with our parents and our our siblings, the kin, more substantial, significant than our relationship with others? And I would argue with those who would say, well, no, my substantial relationships are not my family, but my friends. I would argue with you because there is something, some staying power, something that you just can't separate yourself from that exists within family that doesn't exist outside of family. It's DNA, right? Genetics. It's, it's in our hard wiring. We share memories and habits, idiosyncrasies. I was just thinking the other day, I'm just like my dad. My dad, whenever he wanted to talk to a child, he might want to talk to me, he goes through all the names of the family before he reaches him. Right? I do the same thing. Fortunately, I only have two boys. My dad had five kids. And he would call me Elizabeth and Janet and Pauline. <laughs> and fortunately, Jonathan. But you see, we have these, these similar appearances sometimes, mannerisms, reasonings, how we see the world. There's stuff that is deep. And so I know I'm talking about the ideal here. But your love for your family goes deep. It's unquestioned. It's unconditional. It's it's supposed to be never-ending. It is a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity. And this is the love that we are to have for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess what? We have a lot in common with each other. We have the same Father. Matthew 5, to 45 But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God is our Father. We have a sibling in common. Now, in verse Romans uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share the sufferings, in order that we may also share his glory. And then we have in common the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. All of these, and he's speaking of gifts, are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. We are family. We are to love as brothers and sisters. That is that higher plane of love, where blood is thicker than water. And when I think of the believers who truly exemplify love, I think of the Thessalonians. Read First and Second Thessalonians if you want to be encouraged. If you want to see proof that it actually can work, I'm speaking of the church. The church can work. The church can be a place where we love each other as brothers and sisters. Read First and Second Thessalonians. Paul describes his appreciation for them uh, in in the first ten verses of his first letter. And I'll just, uh, I'll read this. You had a map up there? Just so you know, Thessalonica is, you know, where we think of Greece. These are the first verses of his first letter to the Thessalonians. It was a church that he had established in the second missionary journey. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Nicaea, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, the Thessalonians were well-known as a church that worked, as a church that truly loved as brothers and sisters. We don't have time to talk about faith and hope, but we are going to look at their love for each other. You know, as a, as a teacher and as a, a supervisor, I have had students and fellow employees that I've been responsible for, to uh, evaluate or to give them some feedback, right? As a teacher report cards um, and as uh, a supervisor doing uh, performance reviews and that sort of thing. And I got to tell you, there, there are um, there are some students and some employees that simply you don't know what to say about. Them. They're awesome. I mean, they put you to shame. And you're having to write a review. And what you end up doing is you end up saying pretty much, you know, keep up the good work. You know, keep doing this. You know, continue to do that. And if you read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, that's what you see in Paul's letter. You're, You're awesome. Keep up the good work. Keep doing this. Keep doing that. You're doing great. And so I want to take a look at two little excerpts. And in there we see Paul's exhortation for them to continue to do things that they're already doing. And they have to do with this idea of loving our brothers and sisters. And it is clear that this idea of love is some kind of frivolous or ooey-gooey feeling, this sort of thing that has no substance, is not what the Thessalonikas had with each other you'll see that it takes blood, sweat, and tears to love. To truly love as God calls us to love. So I'm just going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-12. This is the first uh, passage I want us to take a look at. Now, about your love for one another, we, don't, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody else. The first thing I want to point out there is that their love and the love of a truly loving church is not defined or restricted to the boundaries of this church. It exceeds, it goes beyond. It reaches to our brothers and sisters in Christ around PEI, around the world. True love can't be confined. It exceeds, it goes beyond. And this is what he says. You do love God's family throughout Macedonia. Do you you remember that in scriptures we hear about a gift that Paul was going to take back to Jerusalem because the the Christian church there was suffering so much because of such hardships that they were facing? And and I, I just want to read an excerpt because he is writing about not just the Thessalonians, but I'm sure definitely the Thessalonians in 1 Corinthians 8. One to four. He says these words. First Corinthians eight one to four. No, got the wrong there. Maybe second. Yeah, Second Corinthians eight one to four. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Thessalonica would be definitely one of those churches, actually a model church in Macedonia. In the midst of very severe trial, um, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You see, the Thessalonians' love for each other knew no bounds. And it, it, it stretched, it, it, it went out to, it stretched out to the Christians all around the Mediterranean, the known Christian world at that time. Secondly, he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, to love so more and more. Sometimes we think of love as a static thing. You either have it or you don't have it. But scripture teaches us that love is a dynamic thing. We can do it more and more. We can grow more and more in love. And so here he is, the teacher doing a review on this church in Thessalonica, and he says, man, you guys, your love is exemplary. Everybody in the world knows about your love. But that didn't stop him. He still said, do it more and more. Keep growing your love. And so as a church, we need to not just think of people beyond our boundaries, but we have to continue to figure out ways how to love each other more can't just say I love Dale. I have to figure out how I can love Dale more and more. What's that going to be? What's that going to mean for me? Thirdly, you should mind your own business. (laughs) Colleen's group sings a song about uh, PEI. What's that one? I think it's from Anne of Green Gables, that song, isn't it? And uh, one of the characteristics of people on the Prince Edward Island is that they like to know each other's business. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't, don't mind other people's business. You should know your own business. So, So some of you are saying to yourself, yeah, but Pastor Tim, about three weeks ago, you said the church is supposed to be accountable to each other and we're supposed to know each other's business. And that's absolutely true. We're not talking here about accountability. We're talking here about being a busybody. Right? Have you ever had an employer who was a micromanager? I mean, I guess some people, if they're lazy, they don't mind that. But if you're a go-getter and you want to do stuff, You know, you want to get the job done. To have some boss over telling you exactly what to do and messing up with your work and always being involved and always second-guessing drives you crazy. It does not endear you to your supervisor or to your boss. And therefore, we need to mind our own business. It is not my job to tell you how to live your life. Right? Right? You'll see in a few minutes, it is my job to call you to account. But it is my job to tell you, you know, how to live your life. This is the next thing that he says. And work with your hands so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Some people are actually drawn to the church because they know it's a charitable organization. (laughs) and that they'll be able to avail themselves of the resources that are available in the church. For some people, they feel that they're entitled to help. Right? And scripture's very strong on this. That we are to work and provide for ourselves as best we can. There will be times when we can't and then the church is to help. But... We're not to become dependent on the church. You see how that becomes a problem with this loving each other as brothers and sisters? We don't want to be in relationships where people are taking advantage. And so we are to work with our own hands so that we will not be dependent on anybody else. This is the next little passage. It's in the next chapter. It's talking about how this church can continue to be a model, how this church can continue to be exemplary. I'll just read these three verses 1 Thessalonians 5 13 and 15. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with one another. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for long, but always strive to do what is good for each other and to everyone else. You know, strife and conflict come to us very easily. We, by nature, have no problem conjuring up conflict and strife. Look at the first family. Adam and Eve. They sinned. Conflict. Right off the bat. God comes along, what are you guys doing? That woman you put me with, she messed up. You see, this is how we are. The first murder happens with their kids. We are by nature people that feel very accustomed and uncomfortable with strife and conflict. Peace, however, doesn't come natural to us. And peace is a lot of work. That's where the blood, sweat, and tears comes in, is trying to maintain some kind of peace. And the fact of the matter is, the Scripture teaches us that by rights, we're only able to take care of half of the equation required for peace. Scripture says, as far as, as you're concerned, pursue peace. But you can't do anything about how it's received. But you're still going to pursue peace. Somebody else might reject it, but at least you're going to pursue peace. And so we are to pursue peace with each other. And that is really hard work. My family all lives in the United States. And I have um, probably the most liberal family. And I would say there's some people in our family that would be the most conservative family. Now, you can imagine when a little lightning rod called Donald Trump appears. (laughs) Seriously. And and, and literally, he was a dividing rod. (laughs) He he, He split our family, where the liberals didn't want to talk to the conservatives and the conservatives didn't want to talk to the liberals. So what did they decide to do because their blood They get together and don't talk about politics. And that's what many families in the States are doing now. They're just not talking politics. Just to maintain peace, because they want to love each other, but they don't want to talk about politics. Peace is hard. It's natural for us to pursue conflict. The next he says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. This is where... I want to get back to this idea. This isn't about being a busybody. You know, to tell somebody that they're disruptive is not to be a busybody. To tell them that they're disruptive is to tell them that they're sinning. And it's hurtful to the body of Christ. And so there's accountability. We talked about that. Let's move on to the next one. Encourage the disheartened. Is there anything to be disheartened about today? The church is under attack. What grieves me the most is that in the minds of many in the world, the church has lost the higher ground. Instead of the ones who pursue peace, we are seen as the ones who are pursuing hatred, division, scorn. That's a really sad thing. I find that disheartening. (laughs) That the high ground, according to many people in the world, is owned by the lost. That's discouraging. So, we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage the disheartened. We need to help the weak. Not all of us have the same resources. And so, we need to share our energy and our health and our our mental capacity, our wealth, our connections with each other. We need to be patient with everyone. One of the things about being zealous and passionate is that you sometimes cannot be patient. And when you are trying to bring about change, or you're trying to help us grow more and more in love with each other, to be more and more like Christ, and to be more and more the church that he envisioned, you can be zealous and you can be inspired, but we are to be patient with each other. We're to make sure that that nobody pays back wrong with wrong. Such a strong temptation. But the thing is, we are committed to, within the church, loving relationships that are long-term, not short-term, not relationships that are easy come, easy go, that we'll throw out if things don't go the way we want. We need to be all in. And then finally, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This reminds me of Paul's writings to the Philippians where he says, put the interests of others before yourself, your interests. And so there's all these things, the blood, the sweat, the tears, of growing more and more in love and be loving each other as brothers and sisters. We've got to live beyond our borders, constantly strive to love better, control the temptations to interfere, retaliate, build the system, maintain peace, be courageous enough to address sin in each other's lives. Encourage the discouraged. Care for the weak. Be patient. Put the interests of others ahead of your, yourself. It is work. To love. It is work to love more and more, and to be exemplary, and to be a model. Here's the last saying. Everyone knows you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. There's nothing wrong with that statement. Other than To me, it has a scent that suggests that obligation is less important than what you want. You see, we can choose our friends because we can be very shallow with friends, but with family, there's obligation. With family, there's commitment, whether we like it or not. With friends, there's the possibility that, well, I can always get more friends. But you can't always get more family. And that concerns me. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 12, where it says this The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Isn't that amazing? I can't say to Johan, I don't need you, Johan. I don't need you. I can't say that. I do need Johan. And he can't see. he doesn't need me. He needs me. How weird is that? He needs me. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need to, no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Paul has addressed areas that need to to be addressed in order for love to be more and more. And guess what? We will never find a group of people in which there is not pride, in which there is not weakness, in which there is not laziness. We will never find a church or a group of people in which there are not busybodies. But they're blood. That's how we're to see each other. As blood. As brothers and sisters. And there's this this concern in the church that somehow if we move around long enough we can find people that are together enough that we'll want to commit to them. That's not the picture I see. The picture I see in scripture is that you join up with the people that are in your area who are believers. And you accept the fact that you're all over the map spiritually. And you accept the fact that you, you, you're gonna, it's going to take work to love these people. <laughs> it's going to take work to love them. But because they're not together, it doesn't mean, well, yeah, I'll go find somebody else. No, that's not what we're a part of. We are called to commitment to each other. And so we are to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't take lightly the idea of brothers and sisters, it's deep, it's substantial, it requires a lot of us. <laughs> But this is what we're called to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful letter, number two, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Thank you, Lord, for their exemplary model and how they showed love for each other and all the things on their checklist to keep track of. Lord, so that they could love more and more. Lord, help us to be so committed that we would not treat our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, lightly or with disrespect, but that we would be willing to work at it. It's how you want it done. And we want to do what you want us to do. And we thank you, Lord, that the joys that we experience in the body of Christ and loving each other profoundly and substantially far outweigh the investment. Help us, Lord, to get to that place where this church is a model for churches in our community. That church really loves one another. They really work together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great day. God bless. Enjoy the sun.